This is our number three of the John and Leah show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. This is the program where we talk about the news of the week, the events of our often bizarre lives, and where we provide you with a three-hour oasis of honesty and rationality in the desert of insanity and deceit, which is the American media, cultural, and political landscape. Lots to get to, as usual, in hour number three, including the anniversary of 9-11 and a couple of other anniversaries that are related, including the 10th anniversary of the most impactful day of my life, a day that Leah Brandon played a pivotal role in, uh, which we will discuss in this hour. But first, I want to quickly revisit something we were talking about at the end of hour number two, because I think this is a constant issue, if you will, lack of a better term, when it comes to me talking about Hillary Clinton and how I get misperceived by the audience. Because, I, what, Leah, what I'm referring to here with regard to the basket of deplorables, right? I'm not saying that she's right in her analysis of it. I, I, I disagree with some of the words she used to describe the people that she put in the basket of deplorables. And I think, as I already said, that she she put too many people in that basket, which, by the way, she acknowledged. Well, I'm not making a value judgment on that when I when I talk about it politically. I was giving an analysis of what I perceive the political damage or potential benefit to her is. And I don't see any damage here because none of those people are going to vote for her to begin with. They're all going to make sure they vote anyway. She jazzed up her base for a day showing that she could fight back, which I think is important because her base loves it when our side gets she called racist. I mean, come exactly. on. Exactly. I mean, that's they, they, what they do. It's almost orgasmic for the people on the left for for us to get called racist or homophobes or Islamophobes or whatever that phobe word you want to use. And I do think, well, I'm not sure it's going to work because it frankly it didn't get that much play because it was on a Friday night and then a 9/11 and the health scare happened. So this thing it may was not It's the night that she was diagnosed with pneumonia, FYI. Right. Okay. That's you, so you're not you're believing that the doctor lied in his statement today. Okay, just to be clear on that, I'm saying <laughs> she's she was supposed to rest and she's out. Well, if Trump did that, that he would be praised for that by the right wing media. But, oh, um, okay. see, I, okay, Dodge. So, okay, all right. So um, anyway, just to just to further clarify, and then we can move on. I think a lot of the reason why most pundits misunderstand and and why the conventional wisdom is almost always wrong in how these events will play out is that they think of things, how they would be impacted in the broader electorate. We are so fragmented now. We are so divided that I'm a big believer that if you can focus in on the tiniest sliver of a demographic and move them even a little bit in a presidential race, it is a huge Huge thing. Let me give you the perfect example. To this day, and I can't prove this, but you obviously you remember Sarah Palin's blockbuster yes. convention speech in 2008. I do. And and I was there. Mama bear. Right. Grizzly bear. Mama bear, right? Mama grizzly. So um, I was there. Greatest speech I've ever seen in person in my life. And it's part of why I made the movie Media Malpractice, how Obama got elected and Palin was targeted. But I digress. You'll remember... That that after that speech, it was the only time that McCain ever led Obama during the whole race. Yes, and it was a huge jump. Now, part of that is the natural convention bounce, but I will I will believe until it's somehow proven otherwise, and I doubt it ever will. That the real reason for that jump in the polls 
was that parents of special needs kids yeah, I'll bet. saw Sarah Palin as a champion. I'll bet. I'll bet. And, if- and that was disgusting back then. People were mad at her that she hadn't aborted the right. child. Right. It was the most disgusting thing I have ever witnessed. Exactly. Oh, and one, but- just one more thing before we move on quickly, because I had to go look at that poll you were talking about. Yeah. Um, and it says that the New York Times did a deep dive on polling from YouGov Economist. <clears throat> and here's what they found. Mm-hmm. 20% of Trump supporters did not approve of freeing the slaves. That's mm-hmm. what they say. Mm-hmm. Here's exact here's actually what it was about. Okay. The YouGov Economist poll asked the respondents if they supported or disapproved of the executive order that freed the slaves. And I would say to uh, you yes, that that yes. 20% is too yes, high yes, because right. of that. Okay, Leah, right. Yes, it's just, it's just a coincidence that Donald Trump built his campaign on the foundation of being a birther who accused the first black president of not really being a citizen of the United States when he yeah, had no damn think, evidence and he lied. I don't think that had really that much to do with it. Take it a look a- at the poll. Leah, hold, I, 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 this is... This is not an area that I'm not an expert on, okay? I, I, I've looked at all the polls. I, the, the reality is that if you take away birtherism and, and those people are, are, most of them are racists. Now, some of them are just people that were curious or whatever and bought into a, con, a bogus conspiracy theory. But at its base, either consciously or subconsciously, there's racism there. If Barack Obama was not black, birtherism never would have happened. So I'm sorry. No matter how you're going to slice it, there is an element. It's not half. There's an element of Trump's base support that's racist. And Trump knew that, and that's where he got his street cred through birtherism, something that should have prevented him from ever running for president because when you get humiliated to that degree publicly, when you're flat wrong, when you're accusing the president of the United States of not being born in the United States, and he obviously was born in Hawaii, and the proof is there, I'm that to me should have disqualified him, not just from being president, from ever, ever running. So, look, we can quibble over what the percentage is. And, again, I've already stated it's not half. I don't know what it is, but there's an element of it that's real. And, anyway, just to finish off the Sarah Palin thing, it's my view that whatever that very small percentage of parents of special needs kids, they saw her as a champion, and that was a a vote-flipping situation where that's the most that's your whole life that is your whole life if you're a parent of a special needs kid so if someone's speaking to you you're going to flip your vote over it flipping someone's vote is exceedingly difficult in this day and age i mean we are so entrenched uh, which is why i still believe that if hillary plays her cards right and things go well for her in the debates trump is going to head for basically a romney mccain loss because it almost doesn't matter who the candidates are we're, that's where we are in this country. No one ever changes their flipping minds, and and the demographics basically dictate everything. So anyway, we we talked a lot of a bunch of different things there, none of which I intended. When we come when we come back, that's all right. When we're when, all, we're on the fly tonight. When, when we come back, I got to talk about Gary Johnson and Aleppo, and then we'll move on to nine eleven anniversary on the John Elias Show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. 
the john and leah show my name is john ziggler my co-host is leah brandon our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com all right um last bit from our weekly look at the race 16 it's libertarian candidate gary johnson who has gotten very little media coverage and who is most likely not going to be able to qualify for the debates because you need to get to 15 percent in the national polls and he's probably in the eight percent range although at times he's gotten into double figures that Gary Johnson is a former Republican governor from New Mexico, two terms, did a pretty good job there. A guy who I have considered casting a protest vote for because I despise both Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, and I'd like to vote for somebody. Uh, he made news this week for um, one of the more hilarious and honest gaffes, if you want to call it that, uh, that we've ever seen in modern times. He was on MSNBC and the Morning Joe program when Mike Barnacle, who's a bit of a D-bag to begin well, with. Barnacle, hello. Um, asked Gary Johnson about Aleppo. Let's hear what that sounded like. What would you do if you were elected about Aleppo? About Aleppo. And what is Aleppo? You're kidding. No. Aleppo is in Syria. It's the, uh, it's the epicenter of the refugee crisis. Okay, got it, got it. Okay. Well, with regard to Syria, um, I do think that it's a mess. <laughs> <laughs> now, first of all, my sense is that Barnacle, who I've already referred to as a D-bag, which is probably a nice way to do to refer to him, it felt to me, Leah, correct me if I'm wrong, Felt it like was a gotcha. It was a gotcha. You felt you felt like it was a gotcha. It was totally a gotcha. I, why didn't he say? You know, what do Syria. We, yeah, what do you need to do about the refugee crisis in Syria? Right. There is. I agree. I mean, it's completely consistent with the you know trying to trip him up on a test. I had no idea what Aleppo was either. Now, the funny part of this is Trump's answer would have been, "Well, let me tell you, I got a plan for Aleppo." And um, Hillary, it's a very, very good plan. It's, a, it's the greatest plan ever. People have, people are people saying, have told me, people are telling me that this is the greatest plan for Aleppo ever. I mean, and, I'm talking big people, and, big smart people, the smartest people. And Hillary's plan for Aleppo is trash. And let me tell you, everything that's happened in Aleppo is Barack Obama's fault, and Hillary would make it even worse in Aleppo. And oh, by the way, let me tell you about Hillary my- tra- had a plan about Aleppo, but she deleted it. <laughs> let me tell you about her emails. And that's that's how Trump would have answered it. Trump would have had zero chance of knowing what Aleppo was, but he would have been smart enough to not to get say, out of it, to not say he didn't know what Aleppo was. But in what a, is Aleppo? In a, in a weird way, in a weird way, I found this endearing. Because I felt like, wow, um, here's a guy who is, well, maybe he was high at the time. I don't know. Because he's, he he's, could be. He's very pro-weed. It, it was very consistent with a guy who was high on weed. Uh, Aleppo? Um, you know, so I don't know. But at least he was honest about it. And his 
further uh, clarifications of it were also pretty darn honest. He also went mess. on. I'm sorry? <laughs> it's a mess. Yes. Well, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like his further clarifications later on. I, I said, I need to get smarter. Yeah. But he also said, wait a minute. Hasn't Donald Trump already said 150 things that are disqualifying? <laughs> Don't I get more than one was basically oh, his. Oh, didn't he say that? Yeah, he did. That's almost funny. exactly, which is accurate. But see, what he doesn't understand is this isn't a fair deal. See, Trump gets 150 disqualifiers because he's good for the news media. He's good for ratings. Gary Johnson is bad for ratings. No no one cares about Gary Johnson. Gary it's, Johnson is terrible for ratings. And, by the way, as naive as they come. I agree. Oh, no, I wouldn't want Gary Johnson to be president. Whoa. I wouldn't want him to be president. And even though I'm a libertarian, I think he's he's not really he's that not libertarian. He's not libertarian. He's not that libertarian. And he... Uh, and he's been very uh, pro Black Lives Matters and open, open, open borders. Well, that's kind of libertarian, believe it or not. But um, and then you know he's also been you know he's very pro global warming, man made global warming. Mm. And um, but, but look, I, when you when you're casting a protest vote, it doesn't really matter what their policies are because they're not going to get elected. And so I'm still considering voting for Gary Johnson, mainly because, all right, at least he's the one that'll tell the truth. <laughs> and because and because Jill Stein is going to prison or something. Well, well she's been she's facing jail time for vandalism, <laughs> which, by the way, and her running mate, <laughs> which, by the way, might be the best thing that happened to her campaign, because you know, she's really only going after the the, the most crazy far left nut jobs. Yeah. Uh, so that actually could help her. I'm a big believer that Gary Johnson could help Trump by getting into the debates, which I've written a, a column about at Media. You can find it at our website, freespeechbroadcasting.com. I'm not 100% sure that that's still that relevant, mainly because he's not going to get into the debates. And Trump himself has said he doesn't want him into the debates, which I think strategically is a mistake. But look, if everybody was held to the Gary Johnson Aleppo standard, I would be thrilled with that. I wish we lived in a world where if you're a presidential candidate and you didn't know what Aleppo is, sorry, goodbye, thanks for playing. That would be a wonderful world. We don't even come close to living in that world. No, not at all. Not even close do we live in that world. And Donald Trump is the ultimate proof of it because Donald Trump, by that standard, would never have gotten 5% in the GOP primaries. He never would have survived even close to getting even into Iowa if that was the standard. He would have been gone, my my gosh. I mean, of all the disqualifiers, since this is the anniversary of 9-11, I think blaming George Bush for 9-11 yes. at a GOP debate yes, probably, I agree. Would, probably would have been a disqualifier in any remotely rational world, but we have uh, long ago... Yeah, I agree on that. Long ago left the gravitational pull of the rational earth, especially when it comes to this election in 2016. Now, when we come back... Speaking of this being the anniversary of 9-11, Lee and I will talk about that, as well as the 10th anniversary, obviously a 9-11 anniversary, that was probably the most impactful day, or at least one of them, of my life. Coming up next on the John and Leah Show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network.
Welcome back. This is the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Obviously, September 11th is the anniversary, 15th anniversary, of the worst terrorist attack on our homeland and our nation's history, a day that obviously anyone who lived through it will never forget. When it comes to anniversaries, Leah, before we get into the specifics of, of 9-11, which I know had a huge impact on, obviously, almost everybody who was alive at that time, but you and I are clearly uh, in the group of people who are maybe more affected than than most, or at least right. the average person, um, because of the nature of our own lives and our careers. But I digress. One of the things about anniversaries that I always find fascinating is the power of the number zero. Yes. <laughs> Like ten, like 20. like ten, twenty, but some for some reason five because it's halfway to zero is more important than six or four or seven or three. It is. I, it, 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 my logical brain, I like what? Why is that? Why is the fifteenth more important than the th- way more important than the thirteenth? It doesn't make much sense to me. And and by the way, next year on the sixteenth. We'll back. We'll go back to not caring, and then the twentieth right. will be a big deal again. That's uh, right. Uh, and then the twenty fifth will be a big deal. And by the way, for some bizarre reason, twenty five is bigger than fifteen, and twenty five is way bigger than thirty five because no one cares about thirty five because thirty. Right, <laughs> right. But fifty, F- no one will care. Well, eh. it, 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 yeah. I mean, it's kind of like World uh, War Two. No, it's like I, eh. I, people are living longer now, so I think <laughs> I think I think fifty will. We'll still care. Um, now, okay, so that out of the way, the, the thing that struck me because of this being the 15th anniversary and it being on a Sunday, there was a ton of television specials related to the anniversary this year. Yeah. Because uh, TV is, you know, they play the anniversary game. 13, we don't care. 14, we don't care. Oh, 15, and it's on a weekend. Let's go balls out. And so there was a lot of coverage. There was a lot of, News channel coverage, but there was also a lot of specials. And what I found interestingly, and I, and I know, and at least in the past, you've watched a ton of this stuff. Yep, not this year. Okay, not this year. Why? Why not this year? Because this year, for the first time, um, I'm more angry about it than uh, sad or melancholy or stunned like I have been in the past. I'm just angry about it now. What changed? Um. Obama, but that's what okay, changed but everything. He's been president for eight years, so, so I know. Why, why now? Because now it's gotten to the point where you know we're just no longer willing to fight. It now it's just a stupid political war. Um, we we don't tell the truth about terrorism attacks. We try to blame everything else. We've just completely forgotten exactly what happened. Well, and we and there's no justice for these people who are reading the names up there. Well, you're certainly not going to be surprised by my analysis of what we saw this anniversary then because what struck me is that we have completely moved away from and, I, and by the way, I'm okay with a good portion of the remembrances and the coverage of 9/11 being related to the to the what happened and who survived and who died and the harrowing stories and the stories of right. bravery and the stories of tragedy. That's all important. But it has now gotten 15 years later to the point where 
if you are, let's say you're 20 years old, a college, I would love, I would love. And if you're in college, you happen to be listening right now, email me with whether or not I'm right on this. If you're in college right now and you have no direct memory of 9-11, you might be completely confused as to who did it and why they did it. That's right. Because it is never talked, almost never talked about, ever. It's amazing. Where I mean, I I watched uh, a good portion of the coverage on cable news today, and I was still thinking, I was literally thinking, gee, I wonder who did this. And I wonder why they did this, because this was really horrible. It was almost, this is the best analogy I can come up with. It's almost as if 9-11 is treated now as if it was Katrina, like that it was an act of God. Like, yes. they, like it was a hurricane, like New York City and Washington, D.C. and Shanksville, Pennsylvania. They got hit with a hurricane. There, there was no humans that did anything here. There was no no forces of evil. There was no Islamic terrorism. Of course not. That caused that this. That doesn't exist. No, this just, this just happened. This just happened for no apparent reason. And, you know, there was there was no real rhyme or reason as to who the people were or why they did it or or by the, and by the way no talk at all of what the the what has happened to the battle against those people in the ensuing 15 years correct uh, so and the fact that europe now is being overrun with terrorism well, and by the way we're welcoming it here too well okay you're going a little <laughs> far with the welcoming terrorism here but i i get your point that you know, we're, we're clearly not as diligent as we should be. But you know what? Barack Obama would tell you, look, he got Osama bin Laden and we've never had an Al-Qaeda ISIS official attack on our homeland. Now, I think there's been terrorist attacks on our, our homeland. Uh, they what? Just, they, the Boston bombing? OK, again, I, I did you miss the part about ISIS, Al-Qaeda? Uh, uh, Leah, look, gosh, this is happening constantly where if I say anything at all that is perceived as somehow defending a Democrat, then, then I, I get attacked. I'm just telling you what he would say. And what, and, and certainly the media would back him up on that, that you know, that that's the record on this. I, I'm with you on the overall philosophy. It's going to happen again. It's going to happen in a big way. It, I, I, I'm, I'm amazed it hasn't happened yet. I'm stunned by it. And part of the reason why I'm stunned that it hasn't happened is that we've completely, you know, one of the the phrases after 9-11, of course, was never forget. That actually was the top trending hashtag on Twitter today until the whole Hillary health mess got uh, crazy. Um, I think we've completely forgotten. We've, we've forgotten, maybe not, the, we have not forgotten those that died and suffered. That's good. We remember them every five years now. That's nice. Good. Fantastic. Every five years, we remember those people. Well, we have absolutely forgotten how this whole thing happened, why it happened, and what it means to the future. And that leads me to the to the next element of this anniversary. Part of the reason why we have forgotten is because 10 years ago, the greatest film that ever told the story of how 9-11 actually happened, a two-part miniseries in ABC called The Path to 9-11, was effectively censored and destroyed by ABC Disney on the, at the behest of Bill Clinton. 
who was obviously working not only for his legacy, but for what he thought was going to be Hillary Clinton's 2008 successful presidential run. This was in 2006. This was a two-part miniseries on the fifth anniversary of 9-11. You and I saw this before it ever aired. Yep. And we both loved it. I don't, I don't remember exactly whether you agreed with me or not that this was going to be trouble because I immediately said. No, I didn't think it was going to be trouble. I, I, I immediately went to the guy who was there who was running the whole show whose idea it was, a guy by the name of Quinn Taylor. I said, look, uh, this, this whole bit with uh, Clinton not taking out Obama. Obama. Oh, bin Laden. <laughs> holy, holy, Freudian, holy Freudian slip there. With this whole bit about Clinton not taking out Osama bin Laden, is going to be a major, major problem, and he thought I was crazy. He thought right. I was, he thought I was flipping nuts. And I went on the air with you that night on KFI, and I, I predicted, I actually didn't think it was going to air. Now it did end up airing, but it aired with the key scenes completely castrated. The, the, the thing became disjointed. It was such a huge controversy that in the public's mind, it was largely discredited. Because the media and the Clintons claimed that it was inaccurate, which it was not inaccurate. In fact, it was so not inaccurate that Bill Clinton, I don't even even know this, Leah. This is the most amazing part of that whole controversy. So the whole controversy was the Clintons said, oh, this is outrageous that you're depicting that Bill Clinton passed on an opportunity to kill Osama bin Laden way before 9-11. Outrageous! It's not true! Well, guess what existed during that whole controversy, but nobody knew it existed? A tape, a tape of Bill Clinton <laughs> admitting it, bragging, bragging, bragging that he had the opportunity to kill Osama bin Laden and passing on it. And here's the kicker. This was from a speech in Australia on September 10th, 2001. The, the night di- before. They were already in New York. Yes. Bathing was- their feet in sinks. Ding, ding, ding. Well said, Leah Brandon. The, the terrorist attack is underway. By the way, it's absolutely underway at this point. On September 10th in Australia, Clinton is bragging in a speech that I'm sure he got paid millions of dollars for or somewhere in that vicinity for. And he's bragging on tape that he had the opportunity to take out Osama bin Laden and did not take it. And yet we didn't know about that tape in 2006 when this controversy explodes. Clinton, Bill Clinton has the audacity. Imagine this. Forget about the politics. From a personal standpoint, I find this amazing. Who could have the the audacity, other than maybe Donald Trump, I mean, to have the balls and the audacity to put your people out there, everybody on Capitol Hill, everybody in the, all your friends in the media, for you to personally lobby the head of Disney, uh, Bob Iger, and say you got to take these scenes out or kill this movie entirely, when you know that there's a tape of you admitting that the whole thing is true? That's classic Clinton. That takes some balls right there. That I wish he had that much that, that big of balls going after bin Laden. We wouldn't have had 9/11 had he had he had those kind of balls. I wrote a, a very extensive column about this entire controversy uh, which you can check out at freespeechbroadcasting.com in the in the articles section. I did it in uh, one of my mediaite columns, and it's entitled The 9-11 Anniversary That the News Media and the Clintons Want You to Forget. The writer of that miniseries, Cyrus Narasta, is a very good friend of mine and of the show and of yours, and he's a great guy. Uh, Great guy. His career has 
has thankfully survived, although it did suffer because of this controversy. He most recently directed the Young Messiah movie about uh, Jesus as a young child, and uh, which I think you can check out on On Demand right now. But that whole controversy really opened my eyes to what a complete load of crap the news media is and how a bogus false narrative can so easily be fed to them if it's a narrative that is in their political and or ratings interest. Uh, and let's the, not forget it was never put out on DVD like well, it was supposed well, to be. See, well, that's the other thing. This gets to me. Gets this goes full circle as to why it's so important. Not only was it the best movie ever made about how 9/11 happened, and it only aired once, as you just said, it was. It never made it to DVD or on demand. It was supposed to be taught in schools, that got scrapped, and it was supposed to be repeated on prominent anniversaries going forward, which has never happened. And so, and so tonight would have been a perfect example. Yet last night and tonight, the path to 9-11 and its original plan would have aired on ABC to millions and millions of people, and we would have been reminded how exactly this happened. And instead, nada, nothing, all because the news media needed to protect the Clinton legacy. And it's outrageous, and I urge you to check that out. Now, there's another element of what happened 10 years ago that I want to talk about that is uh, more integral to – well, actually, that was integral to my life because I made my first documentary film about the the whole controversy. So that's one element of what happened 10 years ago tonight. A couple other things happened that I want to discuss when we come back for our final segment on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. Final segment of this edition of the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. That's where you can check out the podcast for this program and each and every edition of the John and Leah Show early tomorrow morning. So make sure you subscribe to our podcast via iTunes and SoundCloud at freespeechbroadcasting.com. 15th anniversary of 9-11 today. It's also the 10th anniversary of a very big day in my life. I've already mentioned the fact that the Path to 9-11 aired in its censored version on ABC, which would end up resulting in my first documentary film called Blocking the Path to 9-11. Part of the reason why that ended up happening was because of other events that occurred 10 years ago today, which, Leah, you were a part of. Uh, you may I don't know how much you remember of this, but uh, you were listening to our former colleague at KFI, John Cobalt, part of the John and Ken show, Trash... George W. Bush on 9-11 during, oh. after his speech. Oh, I remember it like it was yesterday. This was a spe- This was a, a war, the Iraq war, that John and Ken were cheerleading for. I mean, holding specials for, holding demonstrations for, uh, because it was at that time good for ratings. So they were, good, they were in favor of the Iraq war when it was good for ratings, but it had long since uh, squandered its ratings value, the Iraq war, because in 2006 it was considered to be a mistake. And so John Cobalt was trashing George Bush left and right. And you came into the office because I followed up their show. or We followed up their show. You were my news person. Mm-hmm. I did the evenings on KFI. And you knew exactly how irate I was going to be. Oh, yeah. I came straight to your office because you used to love to torture yourself. 
and listen to them and get wound up back there. And I was cleaning stalls, listening to John and Ken going, uh-oh, uh-oh, I got to get to work. Well, your your uh, your female <laughs> intuition was, was very accurate that day because uh, my blood pressure was off the charts. And- okay, no, no, no. You were in your chair with your legs crossed up on the desk in front of you. And your feet were going side to side. I'll never forget it, ever. Well, I said, turn it off. Turn it off. And well, you had your arms crossed and you were so mad. Unfortunately, that was a perfect storm moment because what ended up happening was that I did a crossover promotion at the end of the John and Ken show to promote my show. And that particular week, Ken, John Cobelt's co-host, was off on vacation. So yep. John was tired and cranky, and I think that partially led to his diatribe on George Bush. And I very politely asked him before we went on the air, do you really believe that, or was is that just for ratings? And at first he didn't answer. He blew me off. And then he made, like, one of the most racist comments I've ever heard in my life. And he said, no, I actually believe it because trying to control Muslims is like trying to control black people. It'll never happen. And I was stunned. I, I mean, I— jaw was on the floor and then like five seconds later we're on the air and i'm i'm supposed to promote what's going to happen next and i thought in 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 the normal world jabbing at him would have been fine but this was not a normal world because of all the circumstances the perfect storm and i said one of the things we're going to talk about is why john cobalt has his head so far up his ass on a rock (laughs) and he went bananas on me i mean oh oh, that was it bananas to the point where he cuts off my mic, starts screaming and yelling at me, and I'm like, oh, boy, this is Get not good. Out. And so we start the show, the, my show, immediately after this uh, this news break at the top of the hour, and I was very proud of how I handled it. I took the highest road possible, explained my position on the Iraq war. I uh, even tried to say that someday John and I would, would have a drink and uh, be glad that uh, this whole thing had happened. Of course, none of that will ever happen. I was dead wrong about that, that's for sure. Because I'm sure at the very same time, John, realizing that he had done something inappropriate, was sabotaging me uh, while I was on the air. And since he's the, the big moneymaker, that's all that matters in the news media. So by the next morning, I was dead. Yeah. Uh, and so because I had a contract, I was basically tortured for the next year plus before finally the contract was not renewed. No, you were shipped away. Yeah, I was, I was in Siberia. Uh, but I somehow did a hell of a radio show over that uh, year plus period. Uh, I'm sure much to their chagrin, but because uh, torture is never going to work on me. I mean, you, if you're going to torture me, you better bring you know ba- a bag of lunch, bag of lunch, because because <laughs> I'll outlast you. Um, and you know, so I, I'm, that was my great salvation was I forced them to go to the end of the contract. But that's partially why I ended up going to the documentary films. The other thing that happened that night is that we had a guest on the program. Related to 9-11, a teacher, ironically enough, who was teaching her school kids about 9-11. Yes. Her name was Allison. (laughs) And at the end of that interview, she left the studio and you immediately said to me. (laughs) You need to date her. Well, the rest is history. I not only dated her, I asked her to marry me. We got married. We have a kid and she's currently potentially Pregnant with kid number two, so in and one, I'm so in one, happy about that. And well, let's not be happy yet. But in so in one day, how about an impactful <laughs> day? One day, 
the, the, the reason for my first documentary film happens, the end of my uh, Los Angeles radio career gets ignited, and uh, the woman I end up marrying is a guest on my radio program. My co-host uh, tells me to start dating her, and <laughs> the rest is history. That's all one day, 10 years ago today. Uh, I'm glad, Congratulations! By the way, I'm glad that 10 years later, by the way, I didn't lose my co-host on this program. Yeah, so, exactly. So that would have been rather <laughs> ironic. Uh, so thanks for hanging in with me, Leah. We'll talk to you again next week. You, you, have, right. you, you have a good week. And, uh, make I sure, will. You too. Make sure you check out the podcast at freespeechbroadcasting.com. My name is John Ziegler. Have a great week, everybody.